Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 69.9. Um, we're just going to kind of move through. We have a little bit of church news, but I'm going to skip the videos, guys, just for the sake of time here. Um, hopefully, you got to see the Alpha testimony last week. We'll play that video again uh, next week. Unbelievable stories just of what happened um, in the last time. And by unbelievable, I mean, like, just normal. Hopefully normal. Like, the most normal thing imaginable. People, like, have a safe place. If you don't know what Alpha is, you're new. How much would you love a safe place to ask some questions about faith and no one's going to, like, Bible answer man, answer woman you back? Like, just like I'm going to have an open space and then actually get some content to think about. And the content's going to be delivered through this, like, killer little video series, 20-minute videos. And so you can get, like, all, like, worked up or disagree with stuff in the video and not hurt anyone's feelings because it's a video person. They're far away from you. This is, uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, hour and a half every Monday, starting in a couple weeks. Information is uh, on our this week's links. If you scan the QR code, you can register for it. If you are like, I need some Christianity 101 fast, or you're like pre that, you're like, I don't know what I think about the faith exactly. And I would love a safe place just to wrestle with that. We have an incredible team. Eric Blaze, he's one of our leaders. Uh, Emily Cordon's gonna be leading it this time uh, as well. Some of you know Emily. Um, and so we, uh, we just get really excited about this. I think there was like pretty, how many were there? Like 12, 15 folks last time. Um, again, a meal, short video, some time to discuss. You can get out of there. And if you want to not discuss it all and be a bit of a wallflower, that's fine too. The second thing I just want to draw your attention to is pathway. If you'd like to join a home church, one of those 90 folks that join home churches, we have a new way to join a home church, which is come to pathway. Come to this eight-week spiritual formation, like, group journey course thing. We had such a blast. We had 22 folks last Wednesday, 22 folks. Raise your hand if you were at Pathway last week. It was awesome. So great. Um, And there were folks from all over the map. This is what I wanted to make clear. It's like one doorway into Pathway is I'm interested in a spiritual formation journey. I would love to, like, revamp, retool, re-energize um, my spiritual practices and make sense of where I am in the discipleship journey, being apprenticed to Jesus. I like, I would love to go on that journey again, eight weeks. And you may already even be in a home church. Feel free to go, hey, home church, I'm going to be back in eight weeks. I want to come to this. The other entryway, again, is I'd like to join a home church. This is our way of having like one clear lane for everybody to kind of get acquainted with how we think about following the way of Jesus and finding your place in the family. We had such a great time, and it was just, again, so well attended, such a blast, as we wanted to leave it open for one more week. So if you'd like to sign up, one more week to sign up, come this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. All right, if you would, Psalm 69. Where do I put my Bible? That's all right. Psalm 69. There's just this little verse in here that, I had forgotten about, honestly, until I was at a prayer prayer meeting, prayer conference this last weekend. 
I'm not going to unpack this psalm. This is not where we're starting or not where we're ending. But Psalm 69.9 says this. Psalmist is basically um, saying I'm a little much. Anyone else like kind of in worship or for the Lord, they feel like a little much. Anyone met somebody who just loves, my brother loves Tom Brady a little too much. Even after he betrayed us. R.I.P. Tom Brady from the NFL, by the way. How many think he's going to come back to New England for one more year? Sneak attack. Just a little too much. It's just a little too much. The, 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 the psalmist David says, for zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. How many with the tragedies that have happened, some of the shootings that have happened in our city, you have weeped. Maybe you felt compelled to put some things up on social media. You've been compelled to go and advocate, to go and help and serve. And, and, and you get the sense that some people are like, all right, that's a little much. You're weeping. Right? Jesus wept over the city when he saw the brokenness. Jesus actually, this passage is quoted, this exact verse, I'm consumed with zeal. Do you know when Jesus, this verse is quoted for Jesus? When he clears out the temple. When he looks out at the temple and he goes, this is turned into this sort of place of trade and den of robbers. It's basically an indictment. I think it's appropriate to say where there have been moments in the West, specifically recently in the church, where the church becomes some like big consumeristic product-driven thing when it begins to lose the point. Jesus goes in with a bit of zeal and literally starts knocking over money changers in the house. Lest you think the way of Jesus is devoid of passion and pursuit. Lest you think the way of Jesus is always something like kept up and buttoned up and tied up and courteous, I would just encourage you, humbly submit to you, read your Bible. It's not. If you've ever been taught a Christianity that emphasizes decorum over grace and truth. You have been sold something wrong. <laughs> zeal for my house. I have a zealousness for my house. For David to say this is more than a zealousness just for like the synagogue. It is a zealousness for God's presence. For God says multiple places in the, in the surrounding Psalms, that's where he dwells, is in the synagogue. God dwells with his people when they gather in this place. It's the same ache that we started our gathering with. Better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. My goal for this message, for those of you who know what this series that we're jumping into today, is not to add any like sweet little wisdom nuggets for singleness or for married life or for, like, brother and sisterhood. We're starting this series called Friends and Family. And so we just had this marriage summit, and this is essentially, like, the end of this marriage summit where I'm going to teach on marriage. And next week, we're going to dive a bit into singleness and explore how these things are connected in family. But I, I made, had this resolve in my heart a few weeks back in planning for this 
as we're coming out of this season of prayer and fasting, that I think the one gift that I can give, because we'll have many more seasons and summits and opportunities like we have in the past and in the future to give advice and share good, healthy wisdom on how you can cultivate deeper ties. I felt this call to just sort of burn for you. Hopefully this will make sense in a minute, what I mean by that. The role, I think, of the follower of Jesus who is walking faithfully with the Lord, the role, the call, the mission is in part to burn for each other. To raise the temperature for, for friends who are struggling with apathy and despondency. For married couples to turn to others who they notice are in a state of paralysis, trending towards death, to come in and allow God to use them to shake them up. Because all of the incredibly good and true and beautiful technique and rhythms, counseling, resources, these things don't really catch fire until there is a zeal in the heart of a person to change, to let God in and actually move things. There's got to be just the littlest bit of hope. Jonathan Edwards, who is a pastor in North Northampton, Massachusetts, said this, I just don't expect much from my congregation in February. It's like it's cold. He's from Northampton, Massachusetts. He understands what we're going through right now, or understood. And as silly as he was being, he was being honest. It is just there are these seasons in life of just deadness, of drought. And we're called to burn. Deep in the heart of every true disciple of Jesus is a deep longing for more of God. For more of him. We might each describe that want a little bit differently. And to some degree, I think very few of us have words for it. But at the core, what we desire is to really know God in an intimate way. In a way that only love knows. Ephesians 1, 15 to 18. Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, do not, I do not cease praying for you that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. God's great desire is to be known by us. What a fascinating verse. To people who already know God, the prayer from Paul is, will you enlighten my, my heart and my eyes? Even that word enlightening, it sort of gets kind of co-opted by certain strands within Eastern spirituality. 
This is deeply rooted in the biblical tradition. Enlighten my heart. Allow me to see deeper, to know more. Can you just say there is more? As it turns out, it's not just like this desire that God's planted in us for him. Though it is that. This is God's desire. We read in Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. I will put my law, which was the way, the truth, and the life, in their minds, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. He's speaking of this day and age now. He's functionally talking about February 5th, 2023 right here. There will be a time where God will make himself known to us and his spirit will come and dwell in us. And some combination of our enlightenment of realizing this is what God has been like all along and God actually sending the spirit to us in some way that we don't have to go to the temple, we don't have to do some things to have access to God. It's somehow God dwells with us. He says, no longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. At the heart of the new covenant, which is what this is, is God's desire that we will all know him. If all that went over your head a bit, just hold on to that phrase. God's desire is that we will know him. It is a cry from God for us to know him. And so what do you want more of? You want more intimacy and more friendship. More love from the Lord. A deeper hunger to be able to, to do what Paul tells us we can do, which is like to like pray unceasingly. Which, by the way, is not just like closing your eyes and saying a bunch of stuff all day to God. Not a prayer, as many of the saints have talked about it, is simply being in the presence of God, relating with God. Constantly your eyes are just as you serve and as you love, as you do justice and walk humbly and love mercy as you tend to your kids and clean the diapers and are in class, you find yourself drawn in and in communion with the God of the universe. You've met people like this, right? Something about them that just hums with divinity, with love and blessing and truth. Turn with me to John 6. John 6. To truly know God is to love God. And we see this. To truly know God is to love God. John 6. Uh, Jesus has just said all these offensive sounding things. We don't have time to get into it all. And then in verse 66. From this time, after he said all these offensive things to this really big crowd. And by the way, just offensive in that it's just like they're religious. It was just too much. It was zeal for his house. So what are you talking about? Eating my blood, drinking my flesh, all this stuff. And verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus said to the 12, to the ones who had been most intimate walking with him. And Simon Peter, my boy, answered, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. By the way, Jesus says this is eternal life that we would know him. Apparently, experiencing the life of heaven is directly correlated to knowing him. I'm going to keep coming back to that phrase. You say knowing him. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know 
that you are the Holy One of God. For 11 of these disciples, this knowledge that they had wasn't just intellectual. They had come to love him and trust him even when he confused them because they trusted him. In Luke 8, 10, you don't have to turn to this, just listen. His disciples asked, uh, asked him what this parable meant. He had just explained a parable in Luke 8, 10. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you. Jesus disclosed the secrets of the kingdom, whatever that is. They didn't disclose to others, those that he was walking intimately and close with. Say it again. There is more. John 14, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. I will show myself to them. Whoever has my, who knows my commands and who keeps them, we'll come back to this at the end, is the one who loves me. Right, because I can say I love my wife all I want, but if I don't take out the trash and don't help take care of the kids, right, don't pay her any mind, don't go in on the bank account, don't tell her how much, like, don't not just tell her, like, show her physically how much I love her. I don't do any of those things. I can say it all I want. Jesus, by the way, here is not like, he's not some quid pro quo. He's just stating reality. If you love me, like, and you think that I'm the king of the universe and I'm like reflecting God, you'll, you'll do what I ask because it's for your benefit and my benefit and this is what will draw us closer. I will show myself to them. Let that like just burn in you. There's more. Um, J.R. Beret says, the role of love in intimately knowing someone is profound. On one hand, we cannot intimately love someone we do not know. So knowledge must precede love. But on the other hand, the deep love of intimate friendship is the door to even deeper knowledge of the beloved. Because intimate friends, what? They entrust themselves and so disclose more of themselves to each other. So there is an intimate knowledge accessible only through the deep love that results from and produces even more profound trust. To truly know God is to love him. You've got to know something about someone to begin to love them, but then if it doesn't actually take the form of real love, then they're not going to open up, you're not going to open up, and you can't go deeper. In that case, there isn't more. Okay? We following? There's more. Sean, you got me. Come on, guys. I know it's February. We're here for it, right? Johnny Cash. I thought that might help. Just break the room. That has nothing to do with my message. <laughs> Just kidding. It really does. Johnny Cash and June Carter, one of my favorite love stories. Anything know anything, anyone know anything about June Cash and June Carter and Johnny Cash? Just in love till the end. The story had a very not okay beginning. But my goodness, the people that talk about their love, the, the, the dear friends that no one's ever heard of to Tom Petty, like they, they recount these stories of how 
uh, unbelievably profound their love is. They're the ones when you're at a party. Have you ever seen a couple like this? You're at a party and everybody's hanging out. And naturally, when you're at a party, you invite friends over, you're excited to talk to other people. Right? It's sort of the novel, novel, novelty of the time. You're going to be going home with your spouse. You're going to be going home with your partner. And so what is it uh, about that time that um, you would want to in any way steal away just with them and, like, snuggle up on the couch and just, like, talk and laugh in the corner? Have you ever seen a married couple like this that happens? Maybe that's you, hopefully, time to time. It's like the whole point of being there in some ways with others is to talk to others. You're going to have plenty of time with this, like, old hag next to you. And then you find yourself, it's a joke. And then you find yourself sitting on the couch just caught up in conversation because there's something about them. Now, maybe this isn't you right now, and you're like, actually, that has not happened ever. That's okay. It's okay. That's what we're here for. Keep our eyes up. Renewing those goals. Renewing that desire. We get to that place. Here's why I say this. There's something about that kind of marriage. The old couple in the corner of the room, Johnny Cash and June Carter, that stir us. They inspire us. Why? I think the why takes us all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story. Why that it's not good, God declares it's not good for Adam to be alone. This ancient story that describes our genesis. We're made in the image of God, and we get this invitation of this one human, Adam, who's got this job to do to cultivate the earth. And we're told it's not good that they're alone. None of the animals fit. And so God makes for Adam a partner, and it's in this context that God announces the woman. Adam has something to do, and it's not good for him to do it alone. So God says, I will make a helper suitable for him. By the way, the word helper here is the word ezer. Can you say ezer? Yeah, ezer. We can find it in Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my ezer, my help, come from? We see it in Psalm 89 where the words of God are recorded. I have bestowed ezer on a warrior. That's strength. In Psalm 121, the word refers to help that comes from God. Psalm 89 Ezer means, again, strength. So just to be clear, when we read helper, in our context, we're like, this is like some secondary thing. No, 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 no. I think it's we use the total of, I want to say, I forgot to do the count, like 29 times in the scriptures referring to God. Bones of my bone, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, we read next. Bone is a way of talking about strength and flesh is a way of talking about weakness. Right? There's this sense that what's being said here is where I am weak, she is strong, and where she is str- weak, sorry, where I am weak, she is strong, and where she is weak, I am strong. There is this corresponding strength. They fit together. They fill each other up. They cover each other. There's this oneness. And for any of you who I happen to have the joy of married, marrying, you know this word that I love that I drop into nearly every single sermon I give at a wedding, which is this word echad. Can you say that with me? It means oneness. It's the word that's described for God, and it's the word to describe the oneness that exists between Adam and Eve, the first marriage. Oneness. In the English lexicon, there's like 200,000 plus words. In the Jewish lexicon, there's about 7,000 So one word carries a whole lot of freight. 
and the context helps fills it in, fill it in. But one of the great gifts of the Hebrew language, and what you, if you ever had a chance to learn anything about Hebrew, hopefully you've picked this up a bit from our sermons, if, is words have this semantic range. And so it's fascinating that the dominant analogy throughout the scriptures for us and God is marriage. For us in heaven is marriage. We'll get to singleness tomorrow. It gets really rich. Basically, you guys are the strong ones. <laughs> but it gets, it, it, it is this picture again and again of oneness. There's something about when a couple comes together and give themselves fully to one another. It's why in the ancient scriptures, marriage, you weren't fully married until you had sex. You'd have the whole ceremony Everybody would go, yes, you do like the covenant signing and all the stuff and the certificate. And then everybody would go and the party wouldn't start because you know where the married couple's got to go? They're not taking pictures. Nope. Imagine that. Just like you're in a tent and you're like, okay, everyone's outside and they want to party. Is it like a make them wait situation? Like, let's really make them wait. Or is it like, let's get this over with? My daughter, by the way, at the beginning of the sermon was like, Dad, can I sit in for the sermon? I'm like, no, sweetie, not today. <laughs> I don't know. I don't trust what I'm going to say. <laughs> Why do I say this? I'm not just to make a joke. That oneness. This is why, right, when, when we get the order wrong and sex comes before marriage, it begins to jack things up. By the way, just sociologically, most people who engage in that, in having sex, a bunch before they get married, like their intimacy, their intimacy, um, the way they evaluate their own intimacy, um, divorce rates. Um, there's all sorts of data that just show from a scientific level this is not the right move. The bi biblical picture is so fascinating because what it's saying is saying sex is actually something to be elevated. It's this picture of oneness, of God, of other coming together. We could do a whole like separate sermon here on the Trinity. God is a community of loving oneness. There is this powerful image that throughout the scriptures, rooted in the very first story that we're told, is that this oneness that makes up God, the Lord our God is one, is the most uh, prayed prayer in the Jewish Catholic lexicon. The Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one. He is unity. He is wholeness. This is the picture that we then get for what a married couple is. One flesh. The man and the woman should be one flesh. A marriage is designed to counter in some way all the brokenness of the world, to be this shining beacon and light in the midst of the chaos. We all have friends who are from broken homes, right? And I would know a couple that has split up. There is a spouse that is shattered by his lover's infidelity. Somebody's marriage fell apart and she is picking up the pieces. Right? Like all of this is broken language. When our trust has been betrayed and those who are supposed to stand by us don't, this naturally has consequences for how we think actually about God. It can become hard to trust that God is good when our significant relationships simply aren't. And so not to add to the brokenness of the world, but to add to the oneness of the world, 
this man and this woman who have given themselves to each other are supposed to give the world a glimpse of hope, a display of what God is like, a bit of oneness on earth. And then finally, my favorite part of the passage. After all of this leaving and cleaving and bone and flesh, the passage ends with this epic line. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. No shame, no embarrassment, no apologizing for who they are, no covering up, no pretending, no secrets, no masks, total acceptance. Amen, right? It's terrifying to let somebody see who we really are. Terrifying. We want someone to see us exactly as we are and still love us, to see the darkness in our hearts and the bad habits and all that we've done, our biases and our shortcomings, the things that we aren't good at. Being naked, it's been said, is terrifying. Because <laughs> it's about being known. Not just this naked, this naked. It's about being known. What would it be like to be with someone who loves you exactly as you are? It's our question for each other, those of us who are called into marriage. It's our question for each other, those of us that are called into church and friendship, which is everybody who's a follower of Jesus. And it's the question for all of us universally because it's our question for God. Can we be honest? Do you love in some absolute way? This is what we crave. And to not just know this in our mind, but to experience this in our body. To know that we are loved. The couple that lingers talking with each other, like at the end of the, the, end of the party. The couple that's still in the corner laughing and talking it up while everybody else is talking to each other. These are people who understand something that we could take a whole day to unpack like a systematic theology of, but it's this, that there is infinite depth to the human soul. They understand that people are highly complex and that the soul is deep. And that if you are dealing with, with the infinite, if you're trying to connect, and there's no end to the depth of your souls, then this will probably take a while. And that it will take hoping and believing and trusting that there is more and having a zeal for that moreness to pursue being naked and pursue knowing and being known, right? Because you can pursue being known as much as you can pursue knowing. Some of us ask a lot of questions of our, of our significant other, but we actually don't know how to open up ourselves. Some of us berate and demand openness, but are not interested in actually figuring out how to help our person open up. To pursue being naked and known, to pursue knowing, you have to believe that this person is worth getting to know for the rest of your life. And that this person's changing just like you are. Yesterday at the marriage summit, Emily Achilles just dropped this little nugget in. She was talking about her own marriage, and she's like, yeah, I'm like, you guys are eight years into your marriage? Eight, right? Yeah, so eight years in her marriage. She's like, I've been about mm, eight people in the course of those eight years. Anyone else resonate with that comment? No, sorry, Elizabeth, you're alone. <laughs> I know I've been at least three or four people over the course of the 12 years of my marriage. Come on, anybody else? I'm not talking like a totally different person. 
You've changed. Hopefully, you've grown. If you haven't, there's a different set of things going on. In friendship and relationship, this is why friendships ebb and flow and die and churches struggle and all of this. But within a marriage, right, there is a continued renewing and zeal to know the other, just like mirrored in the same way we are invited again and again to know and be known by the God of the universe. Just like these parallels hit again and again in the Bible, book after book, marriage, God, God, marriage, sex, God, sex, marriage, they just keep getting mashed up. I literally wish we had a day to just like unpack it all. They're so intertwined because it's a picture of the other and it's mirrored in the other and we can know more about God by looking at that in a different sort of way. And so I just return to our little refrain here. There's more. And you can do your best to rally the hope that there's just like infinite depth to this person's soul. But I will tell you, I'd be hard-pressed to find too many people who have a zeal for knowing more of God and not allow, not, and that not translating into their zeal for wanting and knowing more of their spouse. Our understanding of what it means to be naked reflects what we believe about the soul. Can you get to the end of a person? And more importantly, or as tied, <laughs> can you get to the end of the Lord? The failure to understand the infinite depth of the human soul is often why people who are married have affairs. They stop exploring the person they married. They stop being curious. That was the word God highlighted in my heart at the marriage summit yesterday. Andrew, stay curious. Stay curious. This isn't just to married folks for all the singles that have, like, like tuned out. Stay curious. Stay curious about God. Could I walk in more freedom and more life and more love, have more clarity on my calling, more vision? There's more. And to cultivate that curiosity when it comes to then the person that you are married to, whether you find yourself in the worst of valley on the brink of divorce, or you guys are like, you feel like you're, you could like fly right now. There's more. There's more. There's more hope. There's more grace than you think. There's more joy. There's more stories out there of people who've been in a worse spot than you are, who had a revival in their marriage. There's more. There's got to be. I don't know what you're here for at church today. Unless you're, by the way, just brand new, welcome. Or not. I don't know what you're doing here. That's pretty much the only reason I show up. I didn't want this job. It took me 10 years after I turned 20, 20, after I turned 20, resisting this calling at all costs. The guy was like, I need you to burn, Andrew. You're a hot mess, man, but I need you to get up there and I need you to burn. We need you to burn, and we need each other to burn for each other because some of us can't burn right now because it's like literally like, like smoldering coals. Just a little bit, of, just a little bit, of, a little bit of smoke. We need each other. 
Your spouse, to be clear, by the way. Not God. But I muddy the waters today. I muddy the waters because Jesus invites us to this. The way, the way to wanting more is really simple. Jesus says he will come to us, see us, on translation, manifest himself to whoever loves him. Two sentences later, he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love them. We will come to him and make our home with him. I don't think you get more intimate than that. Home, make your home with him. We're called to abide in him, which is to make our home in him. If we love Jesus, both the Father and the Son will manifest themselves to us through the spirit of truth who dwells in us, it says in John 14. These are very precious and great promises, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1.4. The way to know God intimately, to experience the relational communion promised in the new covenant isn't complex. It's hard, but it's not complex. Believe in me. Believe in me. The word there again is pistos, which is trust me. Trust me. Believe that I'm there. And trust me. I got you. It might be a little bit hard right now because of this decision, this decision, this mess, this thing that we let in, this like faulty move, this outside stress and stimulus, this thing that has just like been unearthed in me. Whatever the stuff is, he is still trustworthy. And it's still hard. It's still hard. But friends, we can spend the rest of our lives asking God to give us new glimpses of himself. Even in heaven, we get this picture of free from sin that will never exhaust all there is to know and love about it. It's like you'll always hunger, which raises so many interesting questions. I don't know why I'm coming up the aisle, but I'm going to say it right now. If the picture at the, um, at the end, at heaven, is the great banquet feast, those of you who know your Bible, just a little bit, you know this picture, right? The great banquet feast is like a picture of the end. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is why it's going to be so hard for like there to be a bunch of racists in hell. I mean, in heaven. Whoo! There's that quote. Somebody like grabs it, pulls it out, puts it on Twitter. I'm done. <laughs> Great being your pastor. Right? Because it's going to be really hard in the presence of every tribe, tongue, and nation to have animosity in this place. This is the picture of God making everything right and everything well and everything new. But maybe the great banquet feast, because apparently we in some way, if we, if we can take this metaphor, and I don't know if we can this far, we're going to keep hungering and keep wanting more and wanting more and then even more and then even more. Well, maybe the, the, the great banquet feast, <laughs> this is so lame, it's like, a, it's, like a, it's like a tasting menu. Anyone like a good tasting menu? Anyone not like to get full? How many are pragmatic eaters? They're like, I eat to get full. A couple of you. Okay, everyone else who does not, who just like really likes to eat. Right? You're like, oh, please let this not fill me up because I want to try that next thing on the menu. Right? Anybody? Anyone just love charcuterie boards? I know that's like in right now. Because charcuterie boards are like endless. You can just keep going. 
Like just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. <laughs> it's probably not as profound as I think it is. But I'm like, man, this is like the endless taste. Maybe we don't ever get full in heaven because we just keep tasting more of his joy and more of his goodness and more of his love and more of his beauty. And if there's any connection at all, if we're to trust the scriptures at all and the waters get muddied in the picture of our union with God and our union with our spouse, then let me just say one last time humbly before you, there's more. I know it seems like you've like, you've like just dried this all up. I'm looking for my keyboard players. The only reason why we haven't ended this sermon. <sighs> just kidding, Dave. Adam's away. This is what happens, guys. There's no hook. There's more. There's more. I know, I know for a fact, friends, that some of you are like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've like gotten to the bottom of my husband. I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, Andrew, I've got her figure, pretty figured out. Uh, I, I don't, I only pray for you because I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong. There it is. Friends, right now is a moment. I have to believe it. I want to invite you, whether you are on the mountaintop or in the valley, I want to invite you, the prayer team, if you guys would come up, just to come and just be blessed. Right now, if you're in the valley, maybe you didn't make it to the marriage summit, you didn't fill anything out, and this was like the conviction you needed, like, I need, I just, I'd love to sit with you, Andrew, and have you just burn in front of us for a little bit. I need, actually, I don't need you to burn in front of us, I need Corey, like, to just calmly and confidently, like, ask me some questions. <laughs> I would love to sit and talk with Elizabeth and Grant. I need help and intervention right now. I, I just, maybe it's not that. Like, I don't even know if I could talk to anybody. I would just love some folks to be praying for me. And here's the six reasons. Grab that your story card like it is a lifeline. Grab it right now. And for the rest of us, let's come. Here, guys, let's line up at the front. Kevin Fisher right here, you're all going to beeline it for him. Man, Laura, some of these folks are like prophetically gifted. Just say, Laura, if there's a, maybe they don't have a word for you, but they may have a word for you. Yeah, Elizabeth, come up. Thank you. And, and to all the single folks in the room, by the way, if you're, in, if you're engaged or about to be, I see you. I'm not going to call anybody out, but you're going to call yourself out if you walk up here. Come up. Come be blessed at the beginning of the journey. Our prayer for you, our blessing for you is there's more. May you know. May this room know. Would you bow, just bow your eyes. Bow your eyes. Close your eyes and bow your head. I'm done, guys. Man, would you, Holy Spirit, would you just fall on this place? Would you awaken our awareness, Lord, to you, the God who can heal and make whole? 
This sermon was as much for married folks as it was for folks who are struggling in their walk with you, God. I want to encourage you, come forward today and just receive prayer. If you're just in a place of feeling so disconnected from God, and you're like, man, I want to burn again. I want to invite you, go back and remember that moment where you first encountered God, where you first could sing with a whole and genuine heart, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Go back to that moment. And let's rekindle, like together as a whole church, our desire for God, our love for God, our trust that he's just not distantly, like far off good, but he is close and wants us to know him more and more and more, that we might walk in greater life and freedom, joy, goodness, and all of this stuff. If while you're up here, you'd like to come and take the bread and the cup, come and just take it. Take seconds if you need it. Like, I need, I need some extra grace. Come and take the bread and dip it in the cup. I know it's not the normal way we take communion on a Sunday. But let us carve out. I'm just asking like five, six, seven more minutes together of pressing in in faith, praying for those couples as they come up, praying for people as they come up who are struggling with spiritual apathy, praying for your own soul, that God, you'd stir a deeper hunger for him. We ready, church? You ready? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you move? So stand if you'd like to stand. Go to your knees if you'd like to go to your knees. Come forward if you'd like to come forward. Let this be truly a sanctuary, a safe and a sacred place as we lean and press in.